What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nita. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We are just a couple of artsy bitch people learning about what makes art good and how to talk about it and why to talk about it and when to talk about it. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Should we get into some snacks? Yeah. I wanted to tell you that I am currently in a class with Jacqueline Backhouse, iconic playwright, uh, stream men on boats. It's not streamable. Read it. Read men on boats. (laughs) Read wives. And we've been doing snacks for class. And I'm like, oh, Oh I want to tell Jacqueline that you and I do this every week on our podcast. Anyway. You should tell Jacqueline that. Anyway, what's your snack for the week? So I'm unpacking my apartment. I'm in New York City, baby. And while I unpack, I've been watching The Crown and I can't stop. Like the colonial injustice of me watching The Crown and being so into it is so upsetting. But then... Our lovely acting teacher, Jedediah Schultz. King! King Jed. We had like a really good conversation today and my heart is so full from talking to him. And we talked about just kind of like how captivating some actors can be. And I think that's what I'm gravitating towards on The Crown. Like Claire Foy's face is just so nice to look at. And, like, Matt Smith's face is so nice. Like, they're just doing stuff with their faces that is so good. And I feel like when I'm watching it, I feel like I'm doing homework. T. (laughs) Gaia, what you are doing with your face is also so nice Captivating. So captivating. I would cast you in the crown in an instant. Thanks. Next time there's gay people in the crown, I'll be in it. (laughs) There's one. There was one, a bisexual man. Homophobia? There's a little homophobia. (laughs) (laughs) Little homophobia as a treat. Because he's supposed to marry someone. And then they're like, we think he's queer. (laughs) Like, oh no. Uh, He's a queer. queer. (laughs) Like, oh no. British people. Yeah, God, British people. Anyway, um, Gaia, what are your snacks? I'm going to read my snacks that I wrote down for class, but I have a different snack. Is it okay if I have 11 snacks this week? (laughs) Give me all of your snacks. Okay, here's my snacks that I wrote down for class in homage to Jacqueline. Okay, one, Mm -hmm. sticking my hands in dirt. Two, worms. They are doing so much. Three, also bees. Four, the evil that all chickens carry in their souls. Five, statement earrings. Six, the possibility of making a hat. Seven, the fact that in the second to the last Twilight movie, Edward delivers his child by chewing her out of his dying wife's womb. Eight, teeth-related merchandise. Nine, embroidering little things to cover up stains or imperfections on my clothes. Ten, driver's license, a song that compelled me to listen to only it for a week. How did she do that? (laughs) But my real snack is we watched Zombieland this weekend, which... It's a problematique movie. Like, there's definitely a lot of reasons why it's, like, bad and, like, not good. However, yeah. I do be a sucker for a found family. So, like, when when I see a bunch of cantankerous misanthropes meeting each other, falling in friend love with each other, caring about each other even though they said they'd never care for anyone again, I lose my fucking mind. I don't know how to handle that maturely. What's his name? Woody Harrelson? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, who is also in Hunger Games. He's also in the Hunger Games. Yeah, throwback. Yeah, there's like, like a lot of like Jesse very Eisenberg, good actors. Emma Stone. Jesse Eisenberg. Who I always get mixed up with Michael Sarah. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg's kind of cool. He see, he's like a good actor, but every everyone he plays is an incel. So it's hard for me to like empathize with him. They both have incel energy. Maybe this is because of Juno. Michael Sarah feels soft to me and Jesse Eisenberg's incel and this is because of Social Network feels insidious. They're like the tethered version of it. Also, Michael Sarah is not an incel because of Juno because he bangs in Juno canonically. Yeah, but like he still isn't in like he still has he is, incel energy. He has incel vibes, but he bangs. Also, R.I.P. to the Social Network. Can we ever watch that movie again? Because of Army Hammer is a cannibal. Oh yeah, Army Hammer is a cannibal now. <laughs> Maybe he act, like I really think like has this man murdered somebody? That'd be like, sexy of him. No, <laughs> not sexy. Well, of speaking him. of sexy murder. Speaking of sexy murder, it's time for the roadmap. <laughs> Gather around, my children, for it is time for my favorite part of our episodes, the roadmap. <laughs> if you're new here, welcome again. Not again, welcome. You're new here. <laughs> so this episode and all of our episodes besides are made up of four parts. <laughs> Bitch what? An introduction to what the heck we're talking about. Bitch how? A technical rundown of how it succeeds and fails, where we say art major things. Bitch time. Three minutes of us saying non-art major things. We're not allowed to be intelligent legally. We have to be stupid the whole time. And then bitch why? Sum up of the implications. Why anything matters? Why the piece of art we're talking about matters? And the bitch meter, which is our little score meter that we learned math to give you, you know? It often correlates with quality, but doesn't always cause quality. Anyway, speaking of sexy murder, it's time for Bitch What? You're impossibly long. You have part one in the title. It's the height of the Twilight Renaissance. I know what you are. Then say it. A Twilight episode. (laughs) (laughs) We're covering Twilight! i'm so excited catch our like two-person stand-up show whenever covid is over it'll be great that's gonna get us on the map no that'll be like i'm actually really excited for that anyway how did you come across twilight okay so in the fifth grade i had a babysitter lisa and she would like bring movies over every time and this was like the summer before sixth grade started and she brought twilight and we watched it on DVD. And I remember watching it and I was like, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to get obsessed with this and this is going to be my thing. And I am I love it. And then I like plowed through the books to get the last one from the library. You had to have your mom sign a thing because there's sex in it. Spoiler sex. alert, there's sex. We're talking about sex. No, um, that's not and- this episode. <laughs> We're going to be talking about sex this whole time because there's so much. Anyway, (laughs) I was super obsessed. I had friends. We all got, like, really, really obsessed with it. I I was Team Edward, still am to this day. I had a Twilight-themed birthday party. I was obsessed. I was obsessed. I had posters all over my room. This was, like, my thing. And then, um, as a lot of Twilight fan people 
uh, I flip-flopped. I was like, fuck this, I hate this, you know, within, like, two or three years, um, probably around the time uh, End of Eclipse into Breaking Dawn Part 1 came out, I was like, no, fuck this. You know what's better? Harry Potter. And then it was, like, only Harry Potter and, like, Hunger Games, and I was like, I'm an intellectual because I think Harry Potter is better. Now we're all in quarantine, as you all know, the Twilight Renaissance, or should I say, Renesmaison? Ah! No. It's happening. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. We should I shouldn't. Um but I did. No. And um now we're in the middle of that and everyone is doing dances to Bella's lullaby on TikTok and I'm fully here for it. So uh that was my that was my twilight journey. Gaia, what was your twilight journey? Well, as you know, I was not like other girls. So I, I, like, hated Twilight on principle. It was part of my, like, vibe. I didn't flip-flop. I was always firmly anti-Twilight. And then, like, my my anti-Twilight beliefs got, like, steadily more sophisticated. Like, when I started teaching sex ed, we would show scenes from Twilight during our, like, unhealthy relationship spiel. Oh, boy. I think I must have at some point read Breaking Dawn because there's no way I could have known that much about the movie unless I had read it but basically I was I was an auntie and then recently got quarantined in my home with my womb mates and as a form of bonding we watched every single Twilight movie in like two days (laughs) highly recommend actually very fun I read a lot of the first book because we've been planning on doing this episode since the very beginning this episode has been a long time coming I've read most of the first book and I'm sure I've read the last book at some point in my life even if it was only the sex bits and you know I just had a blast who could not have a blast watching all the Twilight movies they're so fun it's so fun but in bitch why fashion we do have to talk about all the good and the bad can I sum them up yeah sum them up Okay, Twilight, book one, movie one. Bella, she cause she's from Phoenix, um, Arizona. Now she's coming to Forks, Washington, where everything is dreary and gloomy and she can't see the sun. Meh. She meets Edward Cullen, this like exciting, very pale um man, and she doesn't know what he is until she does know what he is, because she does some Googling. He's a vampire, spoiler oh. alert. Then she gets all caught up in like the mix-up of being with his vampire family, and then they're playing baseball, and then um evil vampires come after her. Oh no! And then um they end everything's fine. She almost dies, which is a given that happens in all of them she and edward decide to remain together forever except for in new moon spoiler (laughs) alert they don't in the very next (laughs) book he breaks up with her um in a very like hamlet ophelia breakup sort of it's a very crushing breakup it hurts he's like i never loved you yeah he's like i never loved you i'm leaving and you are not coming with me i don't want you to come with me it is very hamlet ophelia yeah it like it hurts my soul anyway in new moon they have the breakup. Then Bella's depressed for like four months until she rebounds with um, another person who ends up being a, a mythological creature. Because <laughs> Bella just can't get away from them. And then she friend zones him. And then Edward thinks she's dead because she's been trying to do this very weird suicidal ideation thing to go see him in her like mind's eye. And then he thinks she's dead. So he's like, I'm going to go complete vampire suicide. And then she stops him in Italy in a very pretty um set piece Uh, yeah and then and then they make out in a chapel and then they meet and then we meet 
vampire, evil vampire clan from Italy. And then that's some world building for you. And then it's, and then we're there. And that's it. That was a really long one, but it was fun. To Can it, <laughs> I'm really glad you got to do that. Can I talk about something that's like not related to Twilight, but I just like, it like bugs me in media. You know, American movies where they make a movie that's set in another country and in order to signify that they're foreign, they all have British accents. What's another thing that that happened in that I was like, what the fuck? Um, like everything. I also think it's weird when you give them the accent of the country they're supposed to be in because canonically they're speaking in their native language. So they wouldn't have an accent. They'd be like accentless because they're speaking yeah. in their native language. So they shouldn't have an accent. Anyway, that's my thought. You know that. what is weird is like Loki and Thor have different accents. They also have British accents when they're Norse gods. They're, they're Norse. Norse. <laughs> And they're also, like, maybe aliens instead of gods. There's and then, like, all of that. why would aliens have British accents? Why would aliens have British accents? Why don't the Volturi have Italian accents? I rest my case. They're talking to them in English, so they should have Italian accents. But then when he says Bella, he does it in a full, like... Bella. <laughs> Michael Sheen! Oh, my God. Let's talk. It's time for Bitch okay. It's time for Bitch Okay, can I talk about the camera? Talk about about the camera. Okay, I think it must be said that whatever the cameraman is on who shot the first Twilight movie (laughs) is what I want to be on. The camera movements are so chaotic. And it's hilarious because, like, so often it's just the actors, like, sitting, like, breathing on each other because that's what happens mostly in the first (laughs) Twilight movie. (laughs) But the camera guy is, like, he's, like, running around in circles. (laughs) It's, like, jump cuts. Just random jump cuts. It's so fun. It's, like, nonsensical. (laughs) But, like, why is he doing that? I love that the vampire, the way that they're supposed to run, changes every movie. Yes. (laughs) Because of the first one, I remember I watched these behind the scenes features so many times. Like, I don't know how many times I watched them, but they, what they did, the first movies, they had like a, you know, the conveyor belt that they, or whatever the thing that they have in airports. Yeah. They had one of those and then they covered it with like leaves and shit. And then they had them walk and then they filmed them like walking on, on the thing. So it looked like they were walking faster than they were. And then for, like, later movies, they would just speed it up. Like, they, I just like that how in every one, because they switch directors every time, which we'll, we're t- going to talk about, because Catherine Hardwick really, like, brought the fr- – she really, like, made the, f- the first movie what it was. And, and they worked off a really tiny budget because they didn't know if it was going to get picked up for, like, another thing. And she, like, made all these choices that all just kind of got dropped in the later ones. But the blue tint – is iconic. Yeah. The blue tint in the first Twilight movie is what makes it. It feels very indie. It feels so, like, 2010s. Even though it was 2008, she was ahead of her time. And the soundtracks. I'm just <gasps> Every gonna... Twilight movie has a banger of a soundtrack. On Tinder, you can have your, like, Spotify thing. Bonnie Vare's Spotify, like, little artist cover is the Breaking Dawn soundtrack cover that makes and i'm like bonnie bear's like a famous artist no i know but everyone loves rosalyn and it wasn't my like most listened to songs last year because i was sad 
Okay, so Sarah, Sarah Z posted this video essay that, like, you all should go watch. It is, like, an hour 30 minutes, but, like, Guy and I have no problem with that. It's so worth it. But something she talked about was, like, Bella as a character is really blank slate-y. Rewatching them, I rewatched them with And he was, like, the whole time he was, like, oh, this acting was not as bad as I thought it was gonna be. Like, especially, like, in New Moon and, like, watching them get older and get better. Like, it's not that bad it's not as bad as like some scenes in harry potter where they're like 10 and he's like he was their friend (laughs) he's like don't be mean to baby dan yeah well no i'm just saying yeah no i agree and i think that the reason for that is a lot of people just wanted to shit on things that like teenage girls like why is it illegal for teenage girls to like things but like Kristen stewart is a really great actor in a lot of other things. Like, I've seen her in some... She's in, in, in all of the indie movies that she's in. She's really, really fantastic. So I think that, like, the kind of, like, weird twitching and the sighing and all of that, like, feels more like a choice now that we're, like, studying acting. Um, I'm, like, watching that and I'm like, well, she doesn't do that in other shit. So I just have to imagine that, like, that was a directing choice. And that yeah, was an I do think choice. it was a bad directing choice. And I oh, it's also a bad choice, like, but I don't think it's all on her for that. No, yeah. I, like, I don't know. Like, a lot of the bad acting decisions in Twilight, the first movie, really feel like a director was like, we want this to be, like, a big pause. And also a lot of it was, like, just, like, acting 101 stuff that, like, once you get better at acting, you just stop doing, like a lot of releasing of breath is like a big thing in acting school that they teach you and drill into your head that's one of the things that's really bad in twilight and like as they mature as actors they just don't do that anymore people forget kristen stewart was like 18 she was a baby she was like pretty baby um not to like be like oh to hold people to different standards and like there are a lot of child actors that like can blow me out of the water but I do think there's something to be said for like watching someone mature as an actor and as an artist I think people don't think of acting as art they think of it as like an innate gift that someone is born with yeah and that's why a lot of people don't really respect actors as like intellectual individuals and so they take out their grievances with a performance on the person because like that they're like that's not a piece of art that's you and your like innate boringness as a person whereas like acting is like an art form that you spend a lot of time honing and you get better at and I, I think a lot of the critique of Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart's performance in Twilight is rooted in sexism and a misunderstanding of acting as a form and an unwillingness to expand your understanding of what it means to be an actor and what it means to collaborate on a film. This is something Jed and I were talking about today, but like so much of acting on film is editing. You really just have to give them the thing that they want once and then it's on the editor to make you look good or bad. There's a lot of, like, pausing in the first one that's like, ooh, we could have taken the air out of that. We could have just cut that. Like, there's some stuff that's, like, not even the fault of these actors, and and, and I think that, like, we forget how much behind-the-scenes stuff goes on behind, like, just that one shot that you saw. 
And also Kristen Stewart pre-Twilight was in like Panic Room uh, with Jodie Foster. Miss Jodie. And she's just really good in that. She's in this other movie called Speak, um, which came out in 2004, four years before Twilight. Um, and, and like really amazing vulnerable performances also the how long it kind of took both actors to to get out of their like twilight bubble and it, in order to be like seen as like uh serious quote-unquote actors i think one it took robert pattinson less time what can be said he is a man it's and sexism. also because he from the jump was like oh, I fucking hate this franchise this is so stupid now he's like kind of changed his his um his feelings about it but like I think that aided him a little bit to, like, also shit on the thing that he was in. But Kristen Stewart really had a rough go of it getting out of the, getting out of this, like, bubble. And, and, and now, finally, is kind of being seen as, like, a more serious actor. And, like, is picking projects that she wants to make and, and has, like, some more agency in her career. However, the one thing that's a little more insidious is Taylor Lautner has not returned to acting yeah. in most, in like almost any sort of capacity capacity at all. I just have to believe that some of that is, is because of like body standards because he like put on a lot of like muscle for the, for, for Twilight. And then now does not look like what people want him to look like anymore. And, uh, and then I'm sure there's also some racism in there, but I, I don't, like, it's, it's really, in. I think their career trajectories have all been, like, very, uh, unique, but all, all been really negatively affected by, by being in Twilight, unfortunately. I have something that's kind of more bitch why, but, like, because we're on the subject. Let's just, like, fuck this, like, fuck uh, our I feel own like we're just gonna formula. talk. Yeah, if we have so much to say. Let's we'll just talk go again at it. Bitch Why about things. We'll summarize things. But um, yeah. a lot of the critiques of Twilight, I think, as a film in particular, stem from, like, people's misunderstandings of how films work and, like, what happens on a set. I think when people see a movie, they see the actors and they're like, that's the movie. Mm-hmm. But the amount of human effort that goes into a film is enormous and it's interesting that people see the actors saying things and they're like that's so weird these people must be bad actors and they don't ever think about the screenwriter and they don't ever Mm -hmm. think about the editors or the camera folk and in twilight that kind of like serves them well because they don't end up getting shit on the way the actors got absolutely eviscerated nonstop. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to a problem in the film industry that I think about a lot, which is the fact that people who work behind the scenes, particularly screenwriters and editors, end up barely even a part of a film's success. Like they don't really get to be a part of a movie beyond their on-paper contributions. I think that's sad. It's especially a thing in screenwriting because when you're a screenwriter, you sell the rights to your script, which means you don't, as soon as it's being directed, you're no longer in charge of it at all. You don't have any creative control. And people don't think about screenwriters as creative parties in movies. Like, you'll notice that um, best screenplay isn't as big of a category as best director. Whereas in theater, best director gets overshadowed by best play or best book. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's interesting because everything that is made by people is made by a bunch of people. And all of those people are essential to the thing being made. And I think we should think about that more when we're watching movies in particular. T. We see this in Harry Potter, the movies as well, but once they got really huge, there were less risks taken with their filmmaking. Like, after Alfonso Cuaron did Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry Potter really took off, but then after that, like, David Yates kind of did nothing interesting, like, with the filmmaking for the rest of them. And I understand, like, the fear around being too experimental because then you might, like, alienate, like, a movie-going audience, but also the, like, Home Alone feeling of the first two Harry Potter movies and then this very dark turn in Alfonso Cuaron's go of it. And, and then, like, in comparison to the, like, blue tint of Twilight and the weird camera like this kind of happened in Hunger Games too is like you had the shaky cam which I didn't really love but it was a choice and then fully is like gone in the next installment but like I always wonder like what these movies Harry Potter and Twilight and Hunger Games like would have been if they were allowed to play more and and like someone brought up the other day they're like god what if the blue tint carried over into the Twilight movies until Bella turns into a vampire and then everything's in color or something. And I was like, oh, but these movies and the way that they are treated as like once they've become phenomena or like once they've become too big to be interesting, they like lose all of their color. But like I was like, God, these movies just were not smart enough to get to do that. Or like they didn't have a through line to get to to do that. And, and that made, I don't know, like, that makes me really sad because I was like, God, these could have been, I mean, Normalize having the same director for a series. Yeah, and I think the fact that, like, Catherine Hardwick was booted off of the first one after it was so loved and then replaced with men, which is so weird because the books were written by a woman, screenwriter was a woman, the first one was directed by a woman, and it centers on a woman. And the target audience is women. Mostly women. They did do that. The first one is exciting because it's so different, and, and it's, like, moody, and it feels like being a teenage girl. I think I first experienced these movies and these books when I was, like, 10, and then I thought 17 was, like, so old. And now having been 17, how long have you been 17? Anyway, um, <laughs> after having been 17, I'm like, God, that's so, so young. Yeah. And and she is baby. I was like perpetually aware of Bella's always like, yeah, I can make my own decisions. And like all this stuff about like adults in her life being like, hey, like don't like do anything permanent to your life before you like go and experience it it's kind of brushed off especially in the later books but also in the first couple as like ah they just don't understand her love for edward but she's like so baby she's so baby so people like really shat on these books and this movie series for displaying a toxic relationship i don't think that Twilight is the main problem. I think it is a symptom of the problem of we love toxic relationships in media. We just love them. Bridgerton, Ross and Team. Rachel, Olivia and Fitz and Scandal, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling in The Those Notebook, people. Dirty Dancing, Chuck and Blair from fucking Gossip Girl, Carrie and Big from Sex in the City. You're listing relationships that I don't know, but I understand to be big pop culture They're, things. Yeah. There's no conflict. 
with these relationships if they're not toxic and I'm sure you can give me examples of relationships that like are interesting exciting to watch that are healthy and when you're young when you're like 17 you want like drama because your life feels like you're in the middle of like an indie movie indie flick and I think now we're 10 years out a little over 10 years out from Twilight and I think that, like, Twilight has not done the damage that all the, like, pundits thought it would do to young girls. Um, because The damage had already been done? Like, the damage is already done, question The damage mark. continues and, like, to be continually just, done. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think it's just on Twilight. And now because of Happiest Season, they're doing the damage to gay people, too. To gays, too. I saw this tweet that was, like, Pride and Prejudice is for girls who were afraid of Hot Topic in 2012. And I was like, LOL, not, maybe that's not true. But even in Pride and Prejudice, I think that Pride and Prejudice as a story is much more fleshed out than this. But Darcy is this kind of like difficult man trope, right? And so we kind of love like a difficult partner that we have to fix. Do and we like, love and a like, difficult and partner that we have to fix? We love Do a difficult partner that we have really to fix. really love a difficult partner that we have to <laughs> Gaia, fix? Gaia, please. Gaia, please. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, this podcast is for me talking about my personal problems. It's okay, same. Um, it's okay, it's okay. But, like, there's, like, a fiery passion sort of situation that happens with that. And I think that we've had the girls and the gays swooning. Oh, that's so romantic. At Toxic Relationships long before Twilight, and we will long after Twilight, I think the backlash is disproportionate to the impact. And, like, people hate teenage girls. People just hate teenage they girls. They hate teenage girls. Um, Lindsay Ellis has a video where she apologizes to Stephanie Meyer, which I think you all should go watch it, but there's this quote. She says, we, and by we, I mean our culture, kind of hate teenage girls. We hate their music. We hate their insepid backstabbing. We hate their vanity and their selfie sticks. We hate their makeup and their stupid books and their stupid sexy actors they made famous. And then we wonder why so many girls are eager to distance themselves from being the object of societal contempt. And I think that, yes, Twilight is trash. It's total trash. But it's, like, my trash. And as long as I'm old enough and, like, understanding enough, I'm sure when I was younger I was like, I want, like, an Edward. But, like... Now I'm like, no, I don't. I don't. But I can sit around and watch these movies and, like, just enjoy them for what they are in the same way that, like, people go and watch the Fast and the Furious movies and no one gets mad at people who watch those um, because they're made, for, they're made for boys. And no one's mean to boys about what they like. But, yeah, I think I don't want to chalk everything up to sexism, but a lot of it was sexism. What you're making me think about by talking about the recipe for having conflict and intrigue in a romantic story is toxicity. I'm interested in that. So famously, listeners, you may not know this, but I uh, hate writing conflict. I just like people to be friends all the time. Um, I don't know. I feel like I come off as kind of a hard ass sometimes. Funnily enough, I hate conflict. It was something we were talking about during Bridgerton, and I would love to see more things do, which is start having conversations on screen about relationships. Because relationships are just a series of conversations had between people. Yeah. Start having the characters talk about their feelings 
They can do it while they're banging even if you are worried that people will turn off the movie. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, this happened in The Crown too. And I know that they're real people, but like so many of their things that are problems with their lives are just because they don't talk to each other. Just fucking talk to, just fucking have a one, have one goddamn conversation, please. Like, you're just jonesing for, like, a discussion. I found this frustrating, actually, in the first two Twilight movies a little bit. When a plot can be solved by the characters in question having a brief but nuanced conversation. My goal as a writer is to always make the characters' problems to be as big as they feel. And mm. the act of of making problems so easily solvable, I just, like, don't buy it as a problem as an audience yeah. member. When I'm like, if Edward had, like, a conversation with Bella about how there's this, like, vampire council that's mad at him for having a human girlfriend, like, would anyone be throwing themselves off a cliff? No. Maybe this is because I'm a playwright and I write dialogue and I think dialogue is cool and I want people to have dialogue with each other. But like, just, I want you to find out where the conflict lives in this that is actually interesting. Yeah. I was in a screenwriting class and the teacher was like, write as little dialogue as possible. And I was like, what the fuck? I had a screenwriting teacher who was like, write as little dialogue as possible, write as little across the page as possible. And I'm like, no, just etch a sketch the whole thing. <laughs> just get rid of Truly. it all. <laughs> just shake it until it's gone. Okay. So I think I was talking about teenage angst and, and like, I remember when I was like 14, like listening to My Chemical Romance, like the things that they would sing about was like running away with your like rebel lover and like destroying capitalism and like these huge things because when you're young everything sucks and you want everyone to feel as sucky as you do and like you want everyone to be as like angry about disen being disenfranchised as you do so the things in twilight that are big are not like interpersonal relationships they're like i have a vampire boyfriend and i have a werewolf boyfriend and they're gonna fight each other, and I need that to not happen. And then it's like, okay, I have a vampire boyfriend and a vampire in-laws, <laughs> like, or his, like, distant cousins. They're gonna fight each other. And it's like, the books are, like, leading up to those things, but then everything that happens to get us there is, like, angst. Like, it's just living off of angst that has nowhere to go. And, and, and Edward and Bella do have conversations more in the books, and there's a lot more, like, love and like gentleness whatever like in the books that that i that i do kind of miss like you miss the parts about the relationship that make you realize why they like being in it in the last three i actually think they start to get a hang of liking each other yeah. but in the first well, two bella, well because bella also has more agency i would argue when you we'll give bella right next time, <laughs> next time um, on we'll our twilight time. episodes um, so many Twilight episodes. I find there to be a frustrating lack of growth from the vampire side of mm -hmm. the conflicts. I think one of the challenges in writing vampires in particular is that the implication of having been alive for hundreds and hundreds of years is that you've like done all of the things you need to have done in order to become like your truest and most authentic self. Mm -hmm. Except for Edward is still not a great goth GF to Bella. I just wish that these pieces of media had cared more about 
change and like navigating a relationship in a real and interesting way than navigating a relationship in a way that feels sexy. This is a series that is for being sexy and for like the sexy imagination of a relationship. And Mm -hmm. in one sense, I I feel similar to about this as I do about Fifty Shades of Grey, where I'm like, why shouldn't we let like young people and specifically middle-aged women and teenage girls, why shouldn't we let those people have books that are just sexy and fun? Like in the same way you said that men have Fast and the Furious and gay people have Brokeback Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Gay people have But I'm a Cheerleader. Yes. So on one hand, I'm like, yeah, sometimes having things that are sexy just to be sexy, like that is a-okay. However, why can't things be sexy and have nuanced communication? This is a through line that I want to carry through the rest of these episodes is talking about, like, this relationship. I think that it did affect, like, how I saw relationships, but for a short time, and I don't know how much of it is just Twilight's fault and also just being the symptom of growing up as, like, a teenage girl and, like, and just thinking that relationships have to be this hard. And they have to be this angsty and this, like, uh, like difficult. And, like, relationships are hard. They're hard because it's communicating with a person. But, like, no one taught me how to communicate with a person in a relationship. And Twilight for sure didn't. Most romantic movies don't teach you how to communicate. They teach you how to suffer within a relationship. <laughs> and then, yeah. like how to be happy within a relationship, but they don't, like, offer good transition points from suffering to happy. Yeah. And a lot of times those transition points come in the form of a romantic gesture, like Bella flying out to Italy to stop Edward from revealing his glittery self to the humans. That's fine. But I think then it puts the idea in your head that in order to have a happy relationship with people you have to be like a grand romantic gestures person like that has to be a part of your relationship or you have to be hot and cold all the time literally literally Literally. figuratively sometimes relationships that aren't like that are still okay us talking about what an ideal relationship is like i think it's bitch time it's bitch time (laughs) It's fish time. <laughs> Don't put that in. <laughs> oh my god, three minutes. Okay, ready? Go. Baseball. The baseball scene. I lo- fucking love the baseball scene. I literally have a Cullen baseball jersey now. Thank you. To- so... <laughs> In the first two books, I am Team Jacob. So for the purposes of this episode, I am Team Jacob. Okay. I will I, I will see that and acknowledge it. Uh, no, but. our friendship has to end right now. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, I just think Jacob was, Edward was kind of mean in the first two books and Jacob was really cool in the first two books. And then, yeah. you know, we can't, we have to pretend like we, we haven't we can't, seen we have the to last wait, We have three. to wait. Um... I, yeah, I, I, oh my god, do I have dumb thoughts? I mean, this no, movie is garbage, and I just love it. I'm gonna read a Roger Ebert quote. Oh, I wanna say that Alice should have been gay. Oh, Alice is totally, like, queer-coded. Like, I swear to god, she's queer-coded. I will say, like, 
Alice and Jasper, like, could have been power bisexuals. Since we're still on the first two, we can say that Alice and Jet jasper are a power bisexual couple and then unfortunately in the last three we'll have to acknowledge that jasper was a confederate soldier um yeah but we but don't have now, to do it right now so we can live in ignorant bliss we can be like oh jasper and alice like each other there's That's a fan so movie there's a fan movie about alice's backstory and it's actually like really good and like well shot and like the fan movies that came out of this series were so good um uh, I used to have an Edward, I have a, I used to have a cardboard cutout of Edward Cullen in my room, and it used to scare my mom. <laughs> that would also scare me. If I, <laughs> I was so obsessed. I was so obsessed. Uh, um, I do think the fact that Edward, that the vampire sparkle, I have no innate, I don't have problems with it because it's dumb, but I do think it takes some of the stakes out of it. I don't care because I don't care because JK Rowling changed lore about mythical creatures in Harry Potter so if we want to get mad about that we have to get mad about no I'm not mad about changing lore I'm just saying like vampires are kind of indestructible in this I was sad I like how I like how it's harder to kill them though because then it's too easy if you just do a stake through the heart. We can't have these cool Shut vampire battles. Heart and you're too late. <laughs> um, are we gonna talk about how the actress for Victoria turned into Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard midway through the series? No. <laughs> Great. Um, glad we touched no. on that. Um, uh, I think the Pacific Northwest is really pretty. I kind of want to live there. It is. It's gorgeous. It's the so fort, green. Like, my friend and I are planning a road trip to Forks, Washington. Oh, cool. Can I come? Yeah. You can come. Right. You should come. <laughs> and that's time. I even have a car. It's time for Bitch Why. It is. So, so what's kind of happening now is, like, all of the backlash that Twilight got when it first came out was just, be, like, just the same reason. Like, you can draw a direct line from, like, the Beatles to the way people treated, like, teenage girls who liked the Beatles to the way people treated teenage girls who liked One Direction to, like, Twilight and all this other shit. Like, like people just hate teenage girls. And that's where the most of the, like, backlash was from. I think now people are finally talking about how the depiction of an indigenous tribe that actually exists uh, affected uh, the Quayute tribe in Washington. Stephanie Meyer did not um, ask them if she could depict them in her novels, um, nor did she, like, align her lore with their lore. I mean, we talked about vampire lore, and, like, lore of mythological creatures changes over time. Like, you know, Dracula wasn't even the first, like, vampire, like, mythology. So, like, they that changes, and that's fine, because there's no, like, direct cultural tie to it. But, like, with this tribe of people that actually exists, they didn't have agency over, over how they were depicted. And, and this, this, and you see this in New Moon a lot with, um, Sam physically, like, mutilates his girlfriend, and that's just yeah. kind of seen as something that's okay. And and I think what's interesting is, like, Bella has scars from the her first, like, vampire attack, and, um, Emily? Emily. I think that's her name. She has scars as well, and that's something that they kind of bond over for, like, a split second, but the person's perspective that we don't get a glimpse on is the woman of colors. 
and like what it means to be like a human in this world of vampires or human in this world of werewolves like we really only get to see a white woman's perspective of that and i think this uh pinning of the werewolves as aggressive and losing their temper and like they turn when they lose their temper and like all of these kind of things uh relate back to just really gross uh savage imagery of um indigenous people the one thing that is interesting and i'm not gonna say like oh it's okay because um but lawmakers did work with this tribe on land legislation in 2012 after watching the film so like some things were like, be- because there was finally, like, a depiction of, like, indigenous peoples in, like, a YA novel, legislation changed because of it. However, that does not mean that, like, harmful stereotypes can be, like, we can- we don't- that doesn't mean we don't acknowledge that, like, that was actually not so great. Also, Taylor Lautner is not <laughs> a First Nations person. He's, like, a very small amount indigenous yeah, it's like but non- like Taylor yeah. Lautner's like non-white passing. Yeah, even and though I, he I, is almost entirely white. I've been doing so much research, y'all. I like read. I'm reading this book called The Psychology of Twilight, which I'll talk about next episode, and um, some anti-feminist like takes of like why Twilight is like so bad for women. Whatever. I was just like, reading a ton, and there is nothing from the First Nations actors who were on set talking about what it felt like to work with someone who who kind of wasn't. And, like, I wonder what that would have felt like because I don't think you can get away with that now, but we definitely all just, like, let that slide in 2008, which is so weird. I did a project freshman year of college where a lot of my source of inspiration was indigenous Mexican people. And mm-hmm. I I could not find a single prominent indigenous Mexican actor to use. Oh, right. I, I remember I talked about this during my project. I was like, mm-hmm. one of the things we do in our design classes is we, we cast out our pieces. It's like a pretty common design class practice. I don't know if that happens outside of New York University. But um, I made a point of talking about how um, there's not there's very few indigenous Mexicans specifically, but also just indigenous actors that have work um, Mm -hmm. in major pieces of media. And just, I don't even know what to say. Like, come on. Like, seriously. And also, like, indigenous tribes are not a monolith. And um, the guy who plays Jacob's dad is kind of like the stand-in anytime someone wants like a prominent indigenous actor. I've seen him in a lot of things. And it is like, he should not have to represent like every Every single tribe that exists. And, And we're finally like at a place where people are doing land acknowledgments and stuff. And I'm just like, that's so great. But that kind of thought of like how we use resources and how we I just wish that like we could carry that over from just like words and verbiage into like action it's also I think partially because of the gentrification of the acting industry in the form of making acting education extremely accessible to people who are low income and non-white yep. let's talk about concrete ways to make sure indigenous actors end up in feature films is 
create acting programs that specifically reach out to indigenous people who are interested in performance art, give them the money they need in order to go to these high profile schools, Yeah, give them the resources they need to do that without fear for their livelihood, fear for their safety like on campus, fear for their safety like in discussion, in class. We talk a lot about like, oh, big problems in the acting industry with people of color. One of the concrete ways to end those things is we need to be putting people of color in acting school. People of color who want to go to acting school should be brought into acting school on purpose. Acting schools need to do that on purpose. They can't just be like, yeah, I hope more people of color audition next year. And and often kind of what happens is like, oh, well, we auditioned a lot of people, but they just weren't the best. And it's like, how do you think that people get good at acting? You go to um, fucking acting school. We talk about this. Jed and I, <laughs> I keep mentioning Jed. Jed. Um, something we talked about a lot was like, Jed, I was like, I am so bad at just like being up there in front of people. Like, I know I want to do this and I know I can be really good at it. And like... There are some moments where I'm, like, in it, and I'm, like, this is it. Like, this is the thing I want to do, um, aside from, like, writing and directing and all that. But, like, that, like, there's moments where you feel it, like, click, and you're, like, that's right. But for me to get there, it takes so much longer for me than for other students in the class. And he was, like, yeah, that's, like, the unfortunate thing of, like, to get good at it, you have to do it a lot. But then to be given the opportunity to, uh, to, opportunity to do it a lot before you get into, like, an acting college you have to be white white or rich or white white or rich rich or like white passing or eurocentrically featured whatever like all of those different things from the ground up that's where the problem kind of lies there's a um tribe organization called move to higher ground which i'm going to put in the show notes um and you can donate to them and do research on them there's also a whole one of these museums put together like a truth versus twilight thing where you can kind of fact check uh about the Quayute tribe because the depiction of them is terrible in uh twilight uh stephanie meyer also like did not want to cast non-white actors as vampires. vampires and like her and Catherine hardwick kind of went toe-to-toe with that um, and Laurent was finally the only, like, non-white vampire in the films until you hit Breaking Dawn, which we'll talk about later. However, I just think it's funny if you told me, like, ten years from oh, now, Oh, you're, like, y- this is Sarah Zed plagiarism. No, I already wrote this in my notes months ago, by okay, the way. Because sure. I've been making Twilight notes forever. But if you, literally, if you told me that, like, J.K. Rowling would be more problematic than Stephanie Meyer, I would not have believed you. But literally, also, J.K. Rowling literally has done this exact same thing with um, indigenous tribes in her, like, lore building. Which yeah. Which I just think is interesting that there's kind of been no change. Support group um, for then. TERFs in writing? I don't know if Stephanie Myers is a TERF, but I bet she is. She at least just doesn't tweet about it. I love that Stephanie Meyer keeps all of her TERF thoughts to herself. Probably just keep your Mormon turf thoughts to yourself. And I'm proud of her for doing that. She, she, every day Stephanie Meyer wakes up, she's like, I am a Mormon and a turf and I'm not going to say anything about it. I have a lot more to say, but we have two more episodes of this. So, uh, we can just get ready. Just get ready. Strap in. We're going to talk. We're going to talk. The last kind of note, I have this Roger Ebert quote. This is a review of the movie, The Mummy. But I think it fits really well here. He says, 
There is hardly a thing I can say in its favor, except that I was cheered by nearly every minute of it. I cannot argue for the script, the direction, the acting, or even the mummy, but I can say that I was not bored, and sometimes I was unreasonably pleased. There is a little immaturity stuck away in the crannies of even the most judicious of us, and we should treasure it. Aww. I just Let think it's neat. Let the girls and the gays have their trash, um, as long as we can live in a world that's not black and white about the things that are insidious about it. It's time for the bitch meter. It's our diversity score meter that we make for diversity. Amazing. What did we give it for <laughs> queer? Uh, For queer, we gave it an NA, even though we did talk like NA, even though I wish and everyone on TikTok has like, code is has like said alice and jasper are probably bisexual queer we gave it an na uh stephanie myers mormon i don't think she even knew gay people existed in 2005 for gender gen genre gender for gender we gave it a 2.5 because look at it look at it look at it look at it did you listen to this episode? For race, we gave it a two. Um, Jacob is a, like, main character. Like, once you once you get past Twilight, um, and we do see a lot of bodies of color on screen. Uh, and this meter just talks about representation and not, like, how it is represented. So, for that, we gave it a two. Um, for disability, we gave it a point five. Jacob's dad do be in a wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair. Good That's for him. all. Good for him. Uh, for body positivity, we gave it an NA minus one. Uh, for like a dollar, fucking cast a fat person. However, I don't really want to know how vampires feel about fat people. Anyway, that's all. Yeah. Uh, for class, we gave it an NA because we do not think Twilight is cl- class consciousness. Yeah. Um, is class we'll conscious. Talk about it. We do not think Twilight is class conscious. We'll talk about it next time. We'll talk about it next time, which gives us a final score of. A two out of ten. The two out of ten on the bitch meter. What can be which said? Is fine by me. Um, enjoy your trash. Enjoy your trash. If movies were to for a dollar cast a fat person, their bitch meter scores might not be so low. Costs zero dollars and zero cents. In fact, Nita and I would each chip in a dollar. I could do that. And I make two dollars an hour, so. It's time for Harris's hot take. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Harris. How's it going? It's good. Um, can we get your hot take on Twilight? But you're going to have to do this three times. So, the first two Twilights, if you know the if you can isolate those. If you know the differences. I've only seen the first Twilight movie. Okay, great. Perfect. Okay. Okay, stick with me here. Okay. So I just finished A Hundred Years of Solitude. Oh, yeah, I saw you tweeting about it. book. Yeah. And <laughs> it was really interesting to read that book after having experienced so much media that definitely rhymes with it, if that makes any sense. Mm. Like, um, I feel like The Haunting of Hill House was very inspired by the time, and it was really cool to go back to that. So I was watching Twilight, and it was just such a interesting feeling to have never seen something 
but have only seen like the references to it for so long mm. and finally like dive into it and I, I don't know if I have a hot take of like a really spicy take about Twilight but I just think like everybody should experience that because it is a crazy feeling to only know something in passing and like so many references but not having seen the original it's, it's wild um, good argument for me to I watch Lord like of the was, Rings yes. or Citizen <laughs> Kane like I was watching a Power Rangers or like movie. any of those things yeah oh my god okay <laughs> that was very zesty of you Harris you All better right. have more you more need takes more <laughs> on Twilight yeah, yeah, on um, Eclipse and Breaking and Dawn, Breaking and, Dawn. Then, and then Midnight <laughs> here, Sun. Here, Harris, the... let me give you something to ponder for the next two weeks, all right? Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Edward chews his daughter out of Bella's womb. He eats all the right. placenta. Um, bye. Bye. <laughs> just just marinate on that. <laughs> I love y'all. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye. I'm so excited to continue talking about Twilight. I'm so I'm so pumped. Um, okay, Tell but me what are you in the meantime, ah oh, fuck, Gaia, you said before I could. Anyway, Tell me, I'm unpacking my apartment and um, writing some comedy again because it's been a while and I'm really excited. And I have some auditions for some improv groups and some sketch comedy writing groups. And even if I don't get in, I'm going to continue writing comedy. So I'm excited. Aw, yay. Yeah, what are you working on? So I'm, I'm like, on the precipice of starting a new play. Look, this is my preliminary planning for it. I love it. It's a lot of writing. I don't know. It's like I haven't started something totally new as a writing project in a while. I've been spending a lot of time workshopping old things. And so starting something from scratch is pretty daunting. I'm a little yeah. bit, I don't know. I'm just like getting nervous about it. I'm, I'm trying to not handicap myself before I've started because I think my instinct is to be like, how do I make sure this all works? And I think that I just need to like allow myself to write it. Um, I'm working with a lot more characters than I normally do. This play mm-hmm. has 12 characters. Holy shit. I'm really Yeah, that's a lot. It. That's a lot. One of them is named Oscar. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm anyway. getting started on that. And I have my first table read with, with my full cast of my screenplay on Saturday. That's so exciting. Okay. All right. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nita underscore Thadani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. And you can follow me on Instagram at Gaia Rose River or Gaia River Rose, depending on what you want from me. You can follow the Bitch Why Podcast on at Bitch Why Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can email us at b.tchwhy at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes um, or wherever you get your podcast that allows ratings. All of the resources referenced will be in the show notes thank you to our editor and co-producer and the gay god cameron and our graphic designer jillian good night treat yourself to a nice a nice glass of apple juice yeah you deserve it good night bitches good night